Quantum computers are rubbish and they're going to be rubbish for a while. We're actually quite certain that this technology is the major disruption for the business that is coming in the next decade. Hello and welcome to Insight Story, tech trends unpacked for business leaders. The podcast that gives you the insight you need to make the right decisions about how to use tech to benefit your organisation. I'm Susie O'Neill and this is brought to you by Kaspersky, the cybersecurity specialists. This time we're asking, how will quantum computing change the business world? Now, most of us have heard of quantum physics. You might even know something about it. But have you heard of quantum computing? And if you have, do you know what its implications are for our world and specifically the way we do business? In a moment, I'll be joined by two people who can help answer that question. Dr. Oliver Thompson-Brown is at the heart of quantum computing research at the newly launched Quantum Software Lab at the University of Edinburgh. And Dr. Henning Soller is a partner with leading consultancy McKinsey. He works with major clients on tech generally and specifically on their quantum strategies. So before we have that conversation, let's make sure we understand a bit more about quantum computers and what makes them so special. To do that, we have some classical help. Hello, I am Dolly, your Insight Assistant. Dolly, I'm very pleased you're here. Now, can you start by explaining the difference between a quantum computer and a classical computer? Certainly. A classical computer uses bits to store data. A bit can be either a zero or a one. A quantum computer uses qubits. A qubit can be a zero or a one or both at the same time. We call this superposition. Okay, but why is that important? Qubits can hold multiple possibilities all at once, which allows quantum computers to perform many calculations at the same time. This makes them much more powerful when dealing with certain types of problems. Uh, Do we know how much more powerful? In 2019, Google's quantum computer took less than four minutes to do a calculation that would have taken the world's most powerful computer 10,000 years to do. But how much faster is that? Calculating quantum speed. Multiplied by 1, 5, 8, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0. That is 158 million times faster. Okay, I get it. That's very impressive. So what kind of things are they particularly good at? There are many applications like complex optimization of supply chains and logistics. They speed up research into new medicines by modeling and simulating how different molecules interact. In encryption, quantum computers can make systems extremely difficult to hack. They will improve AI image recognition, language processing, and recommendation systems. They can help create more accurate climate models and help us discover more about the universe. Experts say that using the power of quantum computing could help humanity solve some of the world's biggest problems, but it is very early in its development. So it's really going to make a big difference to everything. Well, thank you very much. So it seems that... Goodbye. Oh, they've gone possibly feeling a bit existentially threatened. So it seems there is huge potential for business here. And I'm joined by two people who can tell me more about what that might be. Dr. Oliver Thompson-Brown is a Chancellor's Fellow at EPCC, the University of Edinburgh's Supercomputing and Data Science Centre, and part of the Quantum Software Lab. His research is focused on the interaction of quantum computing and high-performance computing. Hello, Oliver. Hi, thanks for having me. And Dr. Henning Soller is partner and director of quantum research at consultants McKinsey & Company. 
He advises companies throughout Europe and the Middle East on their large-scale IT and data transformations, with a strong focus on digitization and innovation, including quantum computing. Hello, Henning. Happy to be here. So let's start with you, Oliver. Uh, Dolly has given us a bit of an idea about what makes quantum computers different from classical ones. So tell us more about the Quantum Software Lab. I know it opened quite recently. So what has it been set up to do? Quantum computing as a technology exists, but it's at that kind of technology readiness level where it can show things on, you can demonstrate things, but there's nothing that actually works and is useful that you can do on one yet. There's an ubiquitous technology upon which all classical computers are based, uh, transistors. In terms of that hardware side of things, quantum technology is not at that stage yet. That analogy puts quantum computers somewhere around the 1970s to late 1960s in terms of the hardware. On the software side of things, we're somewhere in the 1940s. We're not writing software in the way that I write software for a classical computer. We're designing circuits. That's how you develop a quantum application right now, is you design what's called a quantum circuit and then run it, hopefully, on your device. But there's no high-level abstractions for programmers to work with. Um, And indeed, there are no applications where we can provably see advantage that are useful. So the Quantum Software Lab exists precisely to try and find the areas where we may see useful quantum advantage and also to try and develop the tools and the ways in which we can program a quantum computer because adoption is going to be driven by how easy they are to use at the end of the day. So turning to you Henning, your work focuses on using quantum computing and especially its benefits for business. So could you give us a few examples of the areas that quantum is already being used in? There is always the question, is there already a quantum use case that is in production? Have we already proven that there is a case where the quantum computer is already outperforming classical computers? And the honest answer is no. Why in the world are we still interested in something like this, still also from a business perspective? The answer is we believe and we're actually quite certain that this technology is the major disruption for the business that is coming in the next decade. So like artificial intelligence, it could have that level of disruption. I I think the disruption is bigger than sort of artificial intelligence. This is really something that transforms industries in many kind of different ways. And we've done estimates around sort of what is the economical potential about being several trillion dollars at least. And several changes also in terms of how we're actually doing business in the first place. We can do experiments that we currently need to have either humans or animals for that we can simply do directly in experiment, we will be able to test those kinds of chemicals on a much faster pace. We'll be able to transact money in ways that are completely secure and completely different from the ways that we're currently doing that. And this is a much bigger disruption than some of these Bitcoin ideas and similar things that have faded away to a certain extent. So that is why it is interesting. Are we already seeing to date that these kinds of technologies are used? Definitely the answer is yes. We see sort of that certain banks are using this for derivative pricing, for Monte Carlo simulations. We see that also some of the chemical companies are experimenting around with that technology. But it is not sort of to have an advantage to date. It is in order to be able to exploit the advantage tomorrow. And that has to be very clear. So Oliver, just going back to the fundamentals again, and this is quite complex technology, tell us a bit more about how quantum computing works and the kind of problems these computers might be particularly good at and, and how can we interpret the information coming from the quantum systems? Well, it is the, uh, the million dollar question, so to speak. Um, the way that it works fundamentally is that you have these, these qubits and you'll have multiple qubits in what we call a register, uh, by analogy to classical computing. 
And then you set up quantum gates in a circuit that apply to that qubit register and transform it, hopefully, into a state that represents the solution to your problem, whatever that may be. Now, of course, the magic is all in how exactly you do that manipulation. But there is another challenge once you get it to that point in that you have some results stored as quantum information on qubits in your qubit register in your quantum computer. But you can't just read that out directly into your classical computer and, and go away happy. So it's one of the challenges then when the output comes from the, the quantum, what do you do with it next? How do, how do you reuse that? Is that a challenge? Exactly, yeah. So in some sense, a quantum computer is only useful if you can make it interface with a classical computer, because at the end of the day, you're going to want to do something with that information that is probably entirely classical. Because there are a few other challenges with quantum information. Uh, perhaps the most notable one is that you can't copy quantum information under any circumstances ever. Now, this is a great thing for security, but pretty terrible for doing computing with. Now, what that means in terms of what applications we hope to see advantage from in the near term or the nearer term is that anything that has a solution that happens to be a classical bit string is a good start. Is there a specific problem that our users might be able to understand that this new technology could solve? So that particular class of problem, for example, maps well to logistical problems often. Things like how do you fill a set of beds in a hospital ward, for example, or things around aviation and, and airports, those kind of logistical operations where you have to decide where things go. And also flow type or network type problems, for example, can map to that as well. So traffic management, that sort of thing is an example. And the other class of problems where we might see more near advantage from a quantum computer is in problems that basically look like quantum physics. So for that reason, I think that's why people doing chemistry are particularly interested and things like molecular optimization and things like that, where you're trying to find the best configuration for a molecule and drug discovery as well. And Henning, you'd mentioned this as well, chemical industry and financial services. Are there any other use cases you've noticed or, or know about happening in the business world? There are quite a few use cases that you would also see. For example, if you look at industries that are related to the chemistry world, if you look at the beauty industry and others, there is a lot of animal research that is still going on to date that the companies want to get rid of, for sure, and that also their customers want to get rid of. And here is the ultimate solution in order to do that, because you also don't want to harm anyone specifically not with the respective beauty products that you're selling. So um, there are quite a lot of use cases that are out there. The only thing that we should for sure also see is when we did our first evaluation, for example, on sort of what is the impact in the finance industry, we in McKinsey identified a potential of 300 billion impact. Next time we ran this, we identified 960 billion impact. The number is even rising further. What we also need to understand is there are a lot of unknown unknowns. Here is a bit of a nail and we're still looking sort of what is the hammer that we really have in order to use the respective technology in the first place. What we also need to say is the definition of positive business impact in this discussion is often quite narrow. People are looking for where can we do better derivative pricing on a quantum computer versus derivative pricing that we're currently doing on a classical computer. The answer will always be at the stage, the classical computer has the better answer. However, are you prepared for the future? What is the possible also stakeholder value and, and shareholder value that you could generate from having a better outlook in terms of the innovation that your company currently has? There is definitely value in sort of being invested and um, doing actual implementations of quantum computing already to date. 
It's just not economic value in terms of profit and loss. So a lot of unknowns, but it's building in terms of the potential impact and the potential industries that, that could take advantage in the future. Great. And I would like to talk a bit about encryption. So quantum computing and the cybersecurity is quite nervous because it's got a first immediate impact here. So what does quantum computing mean? Does it mean we'll break our existing encryption or is it the opposite? Would quantum computing help systems become more secure? Oliver, what's your thoughts on that? So to answer the the first part, will it break uh, all of our encryption? The short answer is no. The more detailed answer is that this was the big, the first big killer application for quantum computing, Shaw's algorithm, which came out in the, the 90s, I think. And it's for factoring large prime numbers, um, or large semi-prime numbers, in fact. A, a fundamentally boring application that has no practical usage except for one thing, and that's that we happen to have used that uh, process of generating large prime numbers that are difficult to factorize as the basis of all our encryption security for the last 40 years. Immediately, you might think this is a concern. However, there are two things to note. First of all, um, people are aware that a quantum computer would be quite good at factorizing large semi-prime numbers, and therefore that's not necessarily a good thing to base all of our computational security on anymore. So they're already looking at alternatives. A, a classical method as well. It doesn't have to be necessarily a quantum computation that generates this new encryption. It just needs to be something that a quantum computer is bad at uh, for it to be secure again. It's worth noting that in terms of what we mean by secure, secure is never 100% secure. Uh, you can't um, protect data from the future. There's always going to be a bigger, better computer out there. What RSA encryption does is create a problem that is difficult enough to solve that it will take a long time. Yeah, and that's what we talk about when we talk about immunity, isn't it? It becomes too expensive and complicated, so you move on to another business or another uh, system that's easier to hack. But in any case, the, the other uh, reason why Shaw's algorithm isn't about to destroy all of computer security overnight is that it is not what we call a near-term algorithm. Fault tolerance is very much an active area of research for all of the quantum computing technologies. Um, the error rates are, compared to classical computers, absolutely huge. You're very likely to hit an error with any sizable circuit on a quantum computer. So basically what that means is you need a very large quantum computer that can implement very long quantum circuits, and none of the near-term platforms can do that. It's nowhere near at the moment. So for that reason, I think we should not be overly concerned about the impact that Shor's algorithm will have uh, because we're already looking at post-quantum cryptography and because no near-term quantum computer can really implement it. Sure. And Henning, are we finding that in the business space this is, this is an issue? Are businesses worried about cyber criminals developing their own quantum technologies or what do you see the, the role of encryption being? We've created a whole new industry in terms of post-quantum cryptography and the respective solutions that have been developed around this. Is this a major threat to the industry? The answer is no. Is this an area sort of, of very active investment? The answer is for sure yes. This is also why we see that there is such a lot of interest also in the quantum companies to date, both in terms of what is the progress that we're making in terms of these post-quantum cryptography algorithms, as well as also in terms of what and where do essentially the quantum companies stand in terms of actually developing the respective quantum computers. We don't see that there is a massive threat, to be honest, with respect to um, certain criminals now suddenly having access to quantum computing hardware and quantum computers in the first place. This is very elaborate technology. This is not just something that you can steal from somewhere and easily operate. 
Phew, well, that's a relief. And Henning, Oliver mentioned that we have to combine classical and quantum because of some of the issues of um, combining both together. How do you see this hybrid technology working? What do you see the transitions being for businesses working between these technologies? We will see that sort of the first machines are hybrid by design. There is no other possibility because even programming those machines will require a classical computer. We don't foresee that quantum computers in the first place will be programmed also by quantum computers. And what we will also see is that it will require platforms that actually bring several technologies together in order to successfully operate quantum computers in the first place. Platforms that can essentially also intelligently decompose a problem into what is specifically suited for one technology and then also put again sort of the overall result together because putting the solution together from the different inputs that are received from the different parts of the technology. This is not an easy problem in an area of very active research. And I heard a really um, interesting fact about quantum uh, computing machines, that they actually have to be at very low temperatures and even have to have their own fridges. Do you think that's going to be a barrier to, to the uptake and wider usage? So it's very true. It, it depends on the platform. There are some room temperature quantum computing platforms, but many of the ones you often see the picture of as well, because you you maybe seen this large brass chandelier. That chandelier is not the quantum computer. That is a dilution fridge, a fridge for cooling systems down to sort of millikelvin temperatures. What that means fundamentally is that it's going to be very hard for everyone to have a quantum computer in their home and in every device, at least to begin with. On the other hand, there are more specific quantum devices that you may see more widespread. For example, something like a random number generator, you don't necessarily need a very cool platform to do that on. But then the general purpose quantum computing platforms, I think, are much more likely to be larger devices for data centers. Now, Henning, uh, let's think about what's coming next for businesses. What should senior managers and enterprise level companies be doing right now when it comes to quantum? And what are you saying to your clients? What we see is three aspects that sort of senior leaders should really focus on at the moment. First is to truly embrace also the, the the technology and to say, look, this is a revolution that is coming, not tomorrow, but in a foreseeable time frame. And therefore, we need to prepare ourselves. And therefore, we need to scout also use cases, technologies that are out there. I think that is the first thing that we essentially see. Depending a bit on which industry and which specific area of use cases you're in, it also in many cases makes sense to essentially look out for what is a smaller team that I can set up that is responsible also for the scouting of the technology and the identification and further detailing also of the respective use cases because this requires some insight into the underlying technology and sort of quantum doesn't come naturally to humans. These aspects like entanglement and superposition are very weird and therefore sort of it makes sense to also somehow identify and build the respective expertise within the company and the final aspect that we see is companies should actually look out for where can they partner with some of these quantum startups that are also coming up. Because there is a lot of room for partnership where the companies can bring in the knowledge that they have on use cases, their business knowledge in terms of what are relevant problems, and then do and identify together with the respective companies on the quantum side what could actually quantum computing do for them. And this kind of partnership concept, identify who is out there, whom can I do something together with, that is essential in order to also make it work going forward. So it's not about building all the expertise in-house, but building partnerships with those specialists who really understand the, how to get the most of the tech. Thanks. Um, and Oliver, thinking about what's happening for you, what's next on your problems that you think quantum should be tackling and what are the timeframes around that? 
Well, so the kind of problems we're currently looking at are in the aviation space uh, and in genomics, where we have a kind of genome assembly, for example, is a problem that scales uh, factorially. With a quantum computer, we may be able to reduce that by a logarithmic factor, which is a good thing. In general, we're on the lookout for problems that scale very badly on a classical computer because problems scale better on a quantum one. And by scale, I mean, how do I encode the data and how many bits or qubits do I need to, to do that? So genomics and, and aviation, and then also a little bit in, in finance as well. We're looking at applications there. Especially at the moment, there's a lot of interest in quantum machine learning, for example. In terms of the link between quantum computing and machine learning, there is a kind of theoretical grounding for that in that some of the techniques that we use to simulate quantum systems use the same computational technology and the same data structures as machine learning does. So we think they may be linked in, in that way, and therefore we should be able to implement these things on a, on a quantum computer. Great discussion. And finally, we like to conclude each episode of Insight Story by our experts sharing just one golden nugget of information. So if our business uh, leaders are about to take just one small step onto the road of quantum, what's the first thing that you'd like them to know? What's the first thing that they should be thinking about right now? Let's start with you, Henning. Do not look at immediate benefit versus classical computers. Look at the broader benefit in terms of what can this bring in terms of shareholder value? What can this bring in terms of your innovation cycle? And then look out for where can you use quantum. Thank you. And Oliver, what's your golden nugget of insight? Whenever we first start interacting with a new commercial collaborator, we basically sit them down and I give them the talk. And the talk boils down to quantum computers are rubbish and they're going to be rubbish for a while. But the hardware improvements have been very impressive and they are getting better. There are some problems that will not be overcome, but we need to work around like the information in and out thing. And then there are some things like error correction, which are engineering challenges that are being overcome. And the important thing for people to remember is that if they're looking at quantum computing now, it's so that they're ready for when the right quantum computer exists. Big thank you to our guests, Oliver Thompson-Brown from Edinburgh University's Quantum Software Lab and Henning Soller from McKinsey. And if you're enjoying these kinds of insights, we have many stories about the latest business tech in secure futures. It's Kaspersky's digital magazine about innovative tech for innovative leaders. And we've got a primer about quantum encryption, how to recruit quantum talent and articles from Insight Story, including generative AI and digital trust. You can find the link to Secure Futures in the Insight Story show notes. Quantum computing is still a thing of the future for most companies, but it is on its way and security is a huge issue. To tell us what you should be thinking about when it comes to using this new technology safely, I'm joined by Dr. Armin Hasbini, Head of Research Centre Middle East, Turkey and Africa for Kaspersky's global research and analysis team known as GREAT. So, I mean, what are the key points that businesses should be thinking about in this area? And what is quantum cryptography? When we talk about cryptography, any kind of current word cryptography looks stone age old when put in front of quantum computing or quantum processing. And I believe that as technology evolves, cybersecurity, whether cryptography or any kind of cybersecurity defensive mechanisms will evolve as well. And we already have some models of quantum proof encryption that are being developed, and that would allow safeguarding communications and data from quantum processing or quantum decryption. We talk also about quantum internet nowadays as well. 
So in essence, quantum computing is going to make encrypting the data much harder to hack. But do you think that the hackers are going to become much smarter if they have access to the quantum computers? Or is it likely that they would have the, the, those resources? There's a very good chance that hackers will find ways to adapt. I think the future of quantum computing is filled with exciting possibility, though it also faces significant technical and practical challenges because the technology itself is not mature. Continued research, investment, and collaboration among the public and the private entities, scientists, engineers, and policymakers will shape definitely the trajectory of this field. Uh, I think now that we talk about quantum supremacy, quantum internet, quantum cryptography, or even hybrid computing, which is a mix between normal computers and quantum computers, we can't even imagine what would happen if we put AI and quantum computing together in the same sentence. The potential is really, really very big. We could actually reach the technological singularity. So that's that moment when humans and machines are indecipherable. Do you think that might be our future world? I think this is what we're programmed to achieve. I hope that we'll just stay humans. Thank you very much to Amin. Quantum computing may sound quite futuristic, but quantum encryption for security is already here. After 26 years in the business, one thing the experts at Kaspersky know is that cyber criminals are usually trying to get one step ahead of whatever security your business has in place. For enterprises, you're particularly at risk of more targeted and damaging attacks. Now, standard endpoint security, you may know it as antivirus, is not going to cut it anymore. Sorry. But fortunately, Kaspersky is here with enterprise security you can trust, including specialised services for sectors including industrial, financial, healthcare and more. Check the link in the show notes to get started. That's it for this edition of Insight Story, Tech Trends Unpacked, brought to you by Kaspersky. Search for us wherever you get your podcasts and click follow so you don't miss an episode. In this series, we're diving into the ethics of AI, finding out how you can take advantage of the industrial Internet of Things while keeping your system secure, and talking about digital transformation. How do you integrate technology into your business so you get a real return on your investment? Plus, if you're liking what you're hearing, please leave us a rating and give us a review. It really helps people find us and get the benefits of all this great insight. If you want to get ahead, you really can't afford to miss it. Till next time, goodbye. Goodbye. Ah, so Dolly, there you are. I'm assuming you're classical. I am. Any plans to link up with the quantum? Maybe help them interpret their data? Sounds like they still need a bit of... Hi, Insight Story listeners. Ghislaine Boddington here. Are you ready for an immersive journey through the past, present and future of the technologies that shape our world? Look no further than the second season of the award-winning podcast from Tomorrow Unlocked by Kaspersky, where we bring together global experts to delve into the latest advancements and trends. Across season two, we cover a range of fascinating topics, including women in gaming, the ever-growing prevalence of data in and out of the home in telegram to telepresence, the metaverse, the concepts of extended self and digital health in Extended Self, Our Future Digital Twins, and the world of cyborg and embedded technologies in cyborg shifts. 
we also celebrate the contributions of women in STEM and discuss the need for greater representation in the field. Whether you're interested in digital well-being or the latest innovations, Fast Forward has got you covered. So why wait? Search Tomorrow Unlocked Fast Forward on your smart speaker or your favorite podcast platform and join us on this incredible journey. Oh, my God.